is um, we are having garden plots again this year. Uh, and if you want any information on that, you can talk to Darren Wenzel, or you can call the church office and get information of uh, what you need to do um, to get one of those. Um, we've actually, this is actually a great outreach opportunity for us. We had many people from the community call and ask if we were going to do that again this year. Uh, so we decided to do that. Uh, secondly, um, with uh, spring turning into summer, we have um, many young people who are graduating, whether from college or high school or even um, master's level um, work. And we just want to take some time to honor them. If you uh, see them or go to the, I know uh, graduation party season is around the corner, just uh, give them an encouraging word as they, uh, during the summer as they go off this fall into uh, what the Lord has for them as uh, they continue in their lives. Thanks for being uh, gracious with us during this time of difficulties with technology, but that's okay. So normally we do just one celebration each Sunday, but this Sunday I want to do another celebration, and this is a thankfulness. In fact, we got an email given to us this week. Let me just read part of it right here. I know this must have been a very difficult time for Maranatha to try and navigate. In fact, that's the way it is with all churches. I understand that the ministry teams have gone above and beyond in having mass Saturday night services, and I deeply appreciate all that you have done. So what I want to do is just take a moment and just thank those people who've cared for us on Saturday night service. To have an extra service is fine for someone like me who has energy pretty much all the time, but to have volunteers here every Saturday night doing sound, doing worship, background, all the different stuff, we just want to thank them. So here's a list of names. Ken, I'm glad your name's the first. He's going to be beat red right now, but, you know, he does all the sound. So we got some of the sound. Those are the sound people. The first four there are, or the first, yeah, the first four there. Mainly it's been Ken. Barton's helped out a little bit. Jerry's helped a little bit. And then mainly it's been Matt Schiltz who's been here doing sound. And then here's a variety of all those on our worship team. So we want to thank those that have been here. So let's take a moment and thank the Lord for those who have been serving us during this Saturday night service. Along with that, I want you to know that we have been looking for quite some time for a part-time position for a worship director in this position, and uh, we keep waiting on the Lord, and I've been trying different things, connecting with the Evangelical Free Church. Every month it's sent out with the newsletter, letting um, even within the state here that we have this part-time position available. I've been connecting and networking with other churches in this area to find someone for a part-time position and fitting kind of the, the DNA of Maranatha, but we know that the Lord will have that happen at his timing, but just continue to pray with us and be patient with us in that area. So let me just take a moment and thank the Lord for those who have served in this capacity. Lord, I know that Saturday night services isn't something that we plan to do, but I'm glad that we've had it, and I'm glad that even throughout this, normally we've had about 30 to 40 people here, and it's kind of been a little group that's gotten to know each other, and it's been like a little family, and I'm glad that we've had these services for this time period. And Lord, I do thank you for the many ministers, because we're all called to do ministry, those who've given their time. I think of Patty and Randy, who I send emails to throughout the week, sometimes later than they probably anticipate, just coming up with songs and, and working on songs and sending it out to the teams. And they practice and they come early and they've, they've given much time. 
on weekends when they could be doing things with family or vacation or whatever it is. Lord, we just thank you for their service, their time, some behind the scenes doing sound, doing PowerPoint working. So, Lord, we thank you that we have many in this church that care for us in a variety of ways. May you bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, I'm going to kind of transition here. I'm not used to doing things with one hand, but we'll manage tonight. So before we get into our passage, um, as children, how many of you remember some of the children nursery rhymes that we had as kids? What I'm going to do is I'm going to give you one, and this is one that we've all heard. I'm going to say the first part, and hopefully you can finish it for me. Here it is. Very simple one. Sticks and stones may hurt my bones, but... Words will never hurt me. All right, there you go. You said it. There it is. But let me just tell you something. That is completely wrong. It is. Now, this nursery rhyme was given an attempt to lessen the painful experience when maybe on the playground kids would hurl different words at you to make fun of you because you can do jumps scotch together, you know, or hopscotch, there it is, or marbles. I played marbles all the time when I was a little boy digging in the dirt. That's what I love to do. And it was maybe a way to um, lessen that painful experience and maybe even avoid bursting into violence, throwing rocks or sticks at kids, which I've never really done that. But, uh, but words are hurtful, harmful. For me, some were very innocent. In fact, I had many, how many of you had nicknames as a little kid? You're probably like, don't, I'm not going to raise my hand because I don't want to share that. But yeah, we had nicknames. Kids called me different things. One of those was Codog. That was a nickname given to me. I don't know why. Codog or Codex Vaticanus. That was when I was in school. And then some, but some of those I laugh at, but some were hurtful. When I was a little kid, people called me Cootie. I'm like, oh, Cootie. I don't, we don't want cooties, but Cody Cootie was a nickname that people gave to me, and that was hurtful. Or sometimes they would toss swear words at me, and that was just harmful. Listen to this out of Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18. The words of the reckless pierce like swords. Words are harmful. So a summary of what we're going to be talking about today is this. Our words have a great capacity for harm as well as good. Thus, we must be slow to speak. In fact, the, let me finish Proverbs chapter 12, verse 16. The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise bring healing. Isn't that wonderful? So our words have a capacity to do great things, encouraging things, but also very harmful things, which we'll see in our passage as we get into James. So before we get into the word, let's take a moment and pray. Father, we do thank you for your word. It is faithful, it is true, it is lasting. It does not return void. It it is proclaimed and something happens. And God, I pray as we look just at this one simple verse, and we'll Look at other verses, but this one simple verse in James that you would help shape us to be more like you. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, take your Bibles and go to the book of James. If you didn't bring a Bible, we've got Bibles there in the pews in front of you. Or if you're sitting in the front seat, there's a Bible underneath your chair there. Created a summary of follow through the rest of James, and as we go through James, I might tweak this summary, but it's the Christian life, hearing and doing. 
being grounded in the word and character of God. And again, we as Christians, we as Protestants, we pride ourselves of knowing God's word and knowing his character. But sometimes, some people, that's all that they do. Being grounded in the word and character of God requires believers to be doers of the word and demonstrators of his character. As we get into his word, we must be a doer of it. As we see the beauty of God's character and his goodness, we must then demonstrate that to others. We must have an ethical reflection of God's character in a pure religious expression involving personal life and public responsibility. And we're going to unpack that here as we look at this verse and then later as we look at the following verse. All right, everyone, James chapter 1, verse 26. We're almost done with this chapter here. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. So what we're going to do, as we've done before, we're going to work through this passage or just this verse, and then we're going to get into some application as we look at this. So look at the, I'm going to have, in fact, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the first part of this verse and the last part, and then we'll look at the middle part. The first and last. Those who consider themselves religious, their religion is worthless. So I want to take some time and talk about the word religion here. Okay, this brought up here in this passage. What do you think of when you hear the word religion? So I'm going to ask you right now, what do you think of when you hear the word religion? Just give me an answer. What do you think of when you hear the word religion? Church, okay. What else? Someone on the street, one of your neighbors, or someone at work goes, oh, religion. What, what, what do you think of when you hear the word religion? Anyone? Rituals, okay, very good. Sacraments, okay. In our day, religion is a bit of a negative connotation, right? When you hear the word religion, you think maybe, you know, sacraments, rituals, you know, the word church there. But sometimes it's kind of a negative aspect to it. Because we as Christians, and here's kind of this popular phrase, Christianity is not about religion, it's about relationship. Anybody ever hear that before? Anyone? Okay, a few of you. Yeah, because we have this negative understanding in the world that religion is this kind of this religious thing you do over and over, these rituals that are kind of man-driven, and as Christians, we kind of, when we hear the word religion, we just kind of don't go, I mean, how many of us in this room want to be called religious? In our modern day, we kind of go, oh, that's not really what I am. So this phrase here, Christianity is not about religion, it's about relationship. Again, this is because the negative overtones of religion and the work-based system. This is the set that Christianity is apart from all other belief systems. Christianity isn't this religious thing that you do over and over again. Christianity is living. In this, in this understanding, religion is something that's created by man to prove a way to work out their salvation. So that's why sometimes when we hear the word religion, we go, oh, it's not really what we are. Where relationship is seen as something introduced by God for the salvation found in Christ that we could never work for. So for us, Christianity isn't religious that we've got to do things. It's a relationship. 
that God sought us out. And in Christ, we have this great salvation. There's a difference between head religion and heart religion, right? And again, most of the world has this head religion where Christianity, we say, but this is heart religion. So let me take a moment here and talk about how the Bible uses the term religion. And the Bible doesn't always use it in the negative way that we think of today. Religion is only used four times in the New Testament, the word religion. And mainly it talks about a pious devotion towards following God. So it's not a negative term, it's a positive term. In fact, I want to look at three different ways it's used. It's used in a general way, it's used in a negative way, and used in a positive way. So the general way that it's used. An example would be Acts chapter 26, verse 5. And here Paul talks about the strictness of the Jewish customs. The Jewish religion. In fact, this is a common way we could use it today, talking about different religions. Here's a general term that we would use today talking about someone's devotion to a spiritual belief system. It's using the way people perceive others based upon observing outward forms, rituals, sacraments. So the word religion is a very general word. In fact, when I was in seminary, here's a picture of the book that we use called World Religions. And the world religions were just something that we talked about. You know, you got Islam, you've got the Baha'i faith, you got all these things. And I like this book because it was cool. It had a candle, and the candle dripped, and it made the world. It was kind of cool to me. So general use, a negative use that's used. One would be Colossians chapter 2, verse 18. It's used in a negative sense for the worship of angels. People have taken this religion, they've taken this religious rituals, and they've put it upon worshiping angels and not God, and this is idolatry. And then the negative and positive use seen in the book of James, and that's our section here. James chapter 1, 26 through 27. It's shown in a negative way, saying, you know, this isn't the way you should use religion, but the next verse that we will look at later is the positive. Negative, external appearances rather than inward reality. Positive is the outward manifestation of the true saving relationship of Jesus Christ. When you have true salvation, then religion should be a positive term. So let's look at our passage here. Those who consider themselves religious. Here James is talking about those who think they are. They, they consider it. They've got this attitude that seems to be religious. On the outside, they're like, oh, I'm religious. They seem to have an outward appearance of the God that they follow to people. Yet this is based on opinion, not fact. James uses the term here to describe one who prides himself of this outward faith. Hey, I'm religious. But in the end, they're not applying anything to their heart. They're just doing outward things. He's a religious person, a religious Jew, who now professes faith in Christ, but like many, religion is a matter of outward performance. Just doing the outward stuff is not enough. He prays, goes through the rituals, and they are characterized by head religion, not heart religion. Those who can 
consider themselves religious. And then look at the last part of the verse. Their religion is worthless. If you say you follow Christ and you don't abide by the teachings of Scripture, your religion is worthless. Very powerful statement there. Your religion is worthless. It's, it's empty. It's vain. It's lacking power. It's dead. It's, it's non-reproductive. It's, just, it's worthless. It produces nothing. It's lifeless. Productive religion is fruitful. Producing fruit that lasts and remains. Again, John 15 talks about we should be bearing fruit that remains. In the Old Testament, this word... That's very much like the New Testament word is used for idolatry, worthless. It's used to describe pagan idols. So what is it that makes religion lifeless? Take a look at your passage, the middle section here. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves. So let's talk about two aspects, the words that are used. Failing to control the tongue. When the wrong words come out of your mouth, they get in the way of religion, it then turns lifeless. And we're going to learn more about the tongue in chapter 3. In fact, chapter 3, 1 through 12 is all explaining more of this here. But his emphasis here is in a general referring to people who continually chatter, 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 don't think about what they're saying, and they're just quick to speak. They should be slow to speak. They don't care what others are hearing or how they're hurting others. And the Bible gives a lot to say about this. And we'll look more at this again in chapter 3. But there's many hurtful words, angry words, telling filthy jokes, slander, lying, gossip, cursing, and more. Or listen to this out of Romans chapter 16, verse 18. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive their hearts. So words can be very deceptive to the person. Or when I was a little kid, if you remember this, oh, be careful little eyes what you see. Anybody ever sing that one? We sing as kids. Be careful little hands what you do. Be careful little mouth. Or it was be careful little tongue what you say. For the Father up above is looking down in love. Be careful little tongue what you say. And a quick contrast of be quick to listen to God's word, soak it up, we must be slow to speak. It seems today that people think that every thought is worth spilling out to the world. With the advent of the internet, social media, blogging, now everyone seems to be a master of words. In the last couple of years, we've seen people just spill out stuff on social media, blogs, texting, on overused cell phones, and they think every word must be told to everyone. No. We must be slow to speak. Some people are too full of their own important ideas and not quick to listen to the word of God, or they're so interested in telling others what they think and damage happens. The words we use, but we need discipline. Look at what it says here. Do not keep a tight rein on the tongue. They don't bridle the tongue. They don't hold it in. True Christians keep a tight rein on the tongue. If James was alive today, he might say this in a dad joke. Ready for it? Hopefully you laugh. Christians should not horse around. Okay, no one got it. All right. 
So that's my dad joke. Or the analogy of the horse is very fitting. You get it? Fitting? Okay, no one, all right. So here is the bit. I don't own a horse, but there's some in the church that do, so I contacted someone, and I said, bring one in. This goes in the mouth, and it moves in a variety of ways, but what's important is the reins. In fact, at the fair, whenever they're showing a horse or something, the rein part is important because pulling on it, but when the horse and the rider are really close and they know each other, they don't have to pull so much because this rein in the beginning as training has already been working and they understand how it works. The horse understands to hold and move in a certain way. You can pull on the reins and guide and control the untamed horse so it doesn't run over anyone who's in the way. An unbridled tongue indicates a heart gone off course. It becomes lifeless. Quick, angry outbursts can lead to hurt feelings and destroy relationships. This is not talking about one who falls into this once in a while, but this is talking about someone who always is out of control. Their tongue is out of control. It's unrestrained. And we pastors see this at times, happening in marriages, happening in family relationships, happening between friends. Many of us shoot off our mouths so quickly before we understand the story, understand their situation, and we're so quick to use our tongues like swords or like fire and destroy and damage is done. Classic story is this of a preacher working at church with a hammer in his hand, working, and a guy drove by and stopped and started following the pastor around. I was like, okay, maybe he's going to help me, but the guy didn't help him. And the guy just watched and watched, and then finally the pastor said, okay, follow me around. Why are you following me around? Here's the man's answer. I want to hear what you say when you hit your thumb. He wanted to see what the pastor said. Because he's a pastor all glossy outside, but when he hits his thumb, then we'll see what's really on the inside, right? Thought of this this week when I was at a different church. We were having a meeting, and I went to throw something away, and they had this metal or glass shelf right by the trash can. And I went to go throw something away, and I smashed my head. And the first thing I thought was, is it bleeding? And everyone in the room was like, oh, are you okay? And I was like, oh. I said, ouch. And even today when I took a shower, I was like, ouch, there's a big knob on my head. The word of God is the best thing to guide us, to be the reins, to be that bit, to rein us in, to control, to guide us. Figuratively speaking, it's the best bit and bridle to hold us and control our tongue. Listen to this, a couple of verses, Proverbs 10, 19. Too much talk leads to sin. Hmm. Be sensible and keep your mouth shut. Boy, I wish I could say that to some of my friends on the internet that just blog or whatever. They just spill it out, right? Proverbs, that was Proverbs 10, 19, or this, Proverbs 29, 20. Do you see someone who speaks in haste? There is more hope for a fool than for them. Or Psalm 39. I say I will guard my ways, that I might not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth as a muzzle while the wicked are in my presence. 
That reminds me of a friend of mine who's a police officer, and I was talking before he was in this area, he was in a different area, and I was at a place where a couple guys, oh, you know, so-and-so, yeah, I know that person. Oh, and we, as we talked the next day, we were talking more, I was at a conference, they were like, we tried everything to get that guy to swear. Christian, Christian officer, and they're like, yeah, we tried everything. We tried, we tried, all, you know, so here's these guys who don't know God, but they tried everything, and they're like, but he would not give in. James rebukes the type of religion that is external only for show, just a pretense, not the real kind of religion that is shown from a change of heart. In fact, a great book. Men get this book. It's called The Disciplines of a Godly Man by R. Kent Hughes. He says this, under worthless religion, the true test of a man's spirituality is not his ability to speak as apt as we would think, but rather his ability to bridle his tongue. The tongue will inevitably reveal what is on the inside. This is especially true under stress when the tongue is compulsively revealing. So that's our little study in James. Now let's get to a little application here. Yeah, makes sense. Don't speak often. Hold your words. The fool uttereth his mind all at once. That's another Proverbs. Our words have a great capacity for harm as well as good. To build or destroy relationships. We must be slow to speak. Let me give you an example. This is root beer. And if I shake this and shake it and I open this up, what will happen? Oh, it will explode. And often, many of us can be just like a can of root beer. We can just hold it in and hold it in. But if you're able to empty it out, in fact, I could pour it into this glass. I've got a glass of water here. This is one of my root beer things. I like to keep it cold and then pour root beer in there. And, mm, that's just water. But after I open it, then it's not contained. So let me give you an example of what this is like. This is a made-up example of how you can get out of control, kind of like a can of root beer. Your emotions can be like this can of root beer. These are not professional actors, and also we had a little uh, fun doing this, so we did our best not to laugh. But here's an example, and hope you get the point of someone who's unable to contain and release it at the right way, but still they just build it up and build it up. Here's our example. All right. <sighs> hey, Aaron, what's up? Nothing. Just thinking about my favorite sports team. <clears throat> the Lions? <laughs> no one likes the Lions. Actually, uh, a lot of people do. Uh, the Lions are lame. When's the last time they won a Super Bowl? Zero, never. Uh, you Packer fans, you're so arrogant. You're the worst, because you think you're the best. We are America's team. That would be the Dallas Cowboys. Oh, where'd you get that shirt from, the garbage? Where'd you get that shirt from, a yard sale? Oh, you know why they have the Ford plant next to the Ford Stadium? Because after they use all the crash test dummies, they go straight to the football stadium because they're all crash test dummies. <sighs> Want to hear Packer's joke? Eddie Lacy. You stink like a lion. You stink like cheese. Oh, our team is the best. No, that's my team. No, my the team best. is the best. You're driving me crazy. You're driving me crazy.
wasn't a great idea. No. What do we do? I don't know. Have you considered the seven days of confession? Uh, I think they might come in handy for you right about now. Let me give you a list of the seven A's of confession. We had Pastor Tony kind of hand us this thing. The seven A's of confession. Number one, address everyone involved. All those whom you may have affected. Again, when you blow up on someone, there it was just Aaron and I talking about our different sports teams. He got more covered than I did. I kind of like that part. But I need to address everyone in the situation. Number two, avoid if but maybe. Well, if you wouldn't have done that, if, if, if this, and you can come up with all these excuses. Number three, admit specifically what has happened. Your attitude and actions. Number four, acknowledge the hurt. And it's good to let someone know, hey, this is where you hurt me in these specific areas. Number five, accept the consequences such as making restitution. Alter your behavior. Very important. Again, if you've hurt someone, sometimes you can just be still violent or in, inside with your emotions towards them. You need to change your attitudes and actions. And lastly, ask for forgiveness. So here again, here's the, the finishing part of our video as we do this part. Hey, Aaron. Hey, Cody. Hey, I'm glad you could meet me. I thought it'd be great to kind of just go over the seven A's of confession that Tony gave us. I know you looked at it, I looked at it, but I thought it'd be great to just go through this together. And I'm glad you changed. You yeah, changed. I was a little sticky after uh, the incident yesterday yeah. and uh, yeah, went home and took care of that. All right, so let's, let's look at what Tony gave us here. All right, the first one is address everyone involved. Well, obviously that's you and that's me. Yeah, so yeah, I'm glad that we can meet together at this time and just talk through this. All right, avoid if, but, and maybe. Yeah, I'm sorry also, because part of this too, I want to just say, you know, you made some pretty harsh comments against the Packers, and then you unloaded that can, and I want to right away say, but if you wouldn't have done that, but mm -hmm. again, the blame is on me. I need to take blame for that too. Well, the, uh, the third one here is admit specifically. And uh, the thing that I did wrong is I got you going by shaking that can of root beer. Every, every time you said something, I just got madder and madder, and I finally exploded on you. Sorry about that. Yeah. All right, number four, acknowledge the hurt. Yeah, I was hurt because I had my can every time you would make fun of the Packers or Stinky Cheese that would shake that can and build up pressure. And I thought I could be good at holding it, but then you unloaded on me first and it took me a while. And, you know, I acknowledged that um, I opened up my can and got you pretty well. You recovered pretty well. Number five here is accept the uh, consequences and try to make restitution. So I, I do accept that, I, you know, I hurt you and in that I actually hurt myself as well. But I hope we can still be friends. And in fact, I brought tacos. No way. We love having tacos together. That's mm -hmm. one of the things we do. Mm -hmm. Dude, let's dig in right now. Is that fine? Yeah. All right. Got some fire sauce there yeah. to get us going. Nice. Oh, fire sauce. Awesome. Yeah, I am... Yeah, there's consequence of it, but there's a great way to bring our friendship back together. And uh, having tacos is one thing that we love to do. Amen. Awesome. Because Taco Bell and their fiery sauce is great. Yes. Amen. Awesome. So alter our behavior. So, yeah, I want to change my attitude towards the Lions. So with that, I want to make sure that every time I walk by your office, and I've noticed in your office you have a lot of Lions stuff, and sometimes the guys at church want to 
do things about that and switch the signs upside down or whatever. I'll make sure that I encourage them not to do that. In fact, how about this fall? I'll come to your place. You come to my place, or even though I don't have a TV, we'll find a place. Unless I'll, I'll be willing to watch a Lions game wow, with you. That's that's really big of you. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, and uh, mm, I'm gonna dig in this taco Go right ahead. now. The the last thing here on the list is to ask for forgiveness, and it's not just saying sorry, but asking uh, asking you to forgive me um, because I sinned against you. So I'm, I'm sorry for that, and I, I do ask your forgiveness. Yeah, and I forgive you too. And and for me also, I ask forgiveness. I thought I could control that can of root beer, but I didn't. I just I exploded in your face and part of me too I'm sorry that I was glad I really got you more than you got me yeah true <laughs> that was wrong of me yes it was yeah yeah so I'm sorry it's okay I forgive and, you yeah good and uh, I'm glad we can have tacos together mm -hmm. and uh, we should we should do more of this often yeah once a week isn't nearly enough no it's not no. we should have tacos more often probably every day actually I'd be fine with that. It's just, except this is not enough fire sauce for me. That's true. We should probably get some more. I know we should. Well, my, my daughter's good at getting fire sauce. We'll, we'll have Autumn join us. And, uh, on the count of three, here we go. Let me, let's pour some more on. Let's do that. And this is stuff we love to do. Mm -hmm. Why would we let someone like the Packers or Lions destroy our friendship? That's foolish. Yeah, that would be foolish. All right, on the count of three. One, two, three. Mm-hmm. Mm. <laughs> mm. Yum. Mm-hmm. Thanks for being my friend. You're welcome. Thanks for being mine. So the seven A's of confession, I encourage you tonight, or well, it will be on tomorrow. Go download, download this. This will be online so you can look at those things. Let me give you a few other ways to help bridle your tongue and use it for good things. Allow the Holy Spirit to do his work. Take your Bibles and go to Ephesians chapter 4. I just got four little things to say here in closing. Number one, allow the Holy Spirit to do his great work in your conversations. Again, the Holy Spirit is someone who is working within us, doing this work to help us to become more like Christ. And this passage here is so good. Ephesians chapter 4, starting with verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only that which is helpful for building up others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you have been sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Allow the Holy Spirit to do his work in you with words that can bring not harm, such as all those in the middle there, all, you know, the slander, the rage, the bitterness, the anger. Instead, words that can build up one another. So ultimately, we need to yield to the Spirit. Number two, speak with grace and find words of comfort. Again, that Proverbs 1, the words of the wise, their words bring healing. Use helpful words for building up people according to their needs. Look, find out what their needs are, and use words to encourage them that it may benefit those who listen. Be the loving person with your words. In fact, for me, on some of my hardest days, I love how the Lord in some of my hardest days will bring someone 
to bring those encouraging words of life to my soul. Number three, don't let gossip get in its way. Bad-mouthing others, talking behind their back. I've seen this many times. People don't have the right information. They don't know really what's going on. And this gossip builds up, and it's so destructive. In fact, when I was in Washington, there's a couple that was going to get divorced in the church, and, and just people began to gossip all about it. So-and-so said this. Oh, this is because of this. I was like, wait a second. Have you even talked to that person? You don't even know the full story. Don't do that. In fact, in the book, Disciplines of a Godly Man, here's some things that he says. Refrain from being a party to or a conduit for gossip. To refrain from insincere flattery. To refrain from running down another. To refrain from degrading humor. To refrain from sarcasm. These are things we must say, I will not do these things. And then lastly, we must develop the skill to control the tongue. Think first. Hear the other person. Hear their perspective before speaking. It's hard to do that, but it can be done by the work of the Spirit in our lives. This past week, I was at a band concert for my daughter, and they did this one musical piece called Into the it was vibrant and lively, and it was just, I was like, this is great. And then the conductor got up and said, well, the next song is like ballerina something. It's slower. And he said this. He said, slow is not easy. You must control your instrument. And I was like, that's so true. It's easy to play the loud song, maybe, maybe not. I don't want to play those kind of instruments. But slow is harder. It's not easy. You must learn to control your instrument. Again, our words have a great capacity for harm as well as good. Thus, we must be slow to speak. Let's pray. Father, there's many things in our lives that we allow to control us, our anger, are hurt, and they can come out in very dangerous ways, harming others. And Lord, ultimately, we need you. Spirit, we don't want to grieve you. We want to turn to you as you help us. So do your work, Spirit of God, in our lives, so that we would be slow to speak. Use our words not for hurting others, but to encourage. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand as we do our last few songs.